Well, welcome back everyone to Time to Shine. Uh, my name is Adrian, also known as Northern Star on Twitter, and I'm not joined alone. My faithful friend Mike is here with me. Hi, Mike. Hello, Adrian. Hello, everybody. It is Mike, uh, otherwise known as The Buried Truck on Twitter and various social media platforms. Back again, once again, for more Time to Shine. Yes, just when you thought we were gone, we're back again. Um, <laughs> so we, now just to explain to our listeners a little bit about our plan um, for our first few episodes. So what uh, Mike and I are doing, or we're kind of giving you a taste of the entire series. Um, last time we focused on season one, this time we're going to do season two. And we've each selected one of our favorite episodes to review. And we just thought it would be a nice way to kind of introduce you guys to our podcast um, and see kind of how we do things. So, yeah, we're diving into season two. And I don't know about you, Mike, but uh, yeah, I mean, I always say (laughs) it's hard with Shining Time. I'm like, this is my favorite. This is my favorite. But season two, I feel, is where (laughs) the show really hit its stride. Um, I feel like it just really balanced some of the more quiet gentleness of season one with some of the maybe busier plot lines, more complex uh, kind of station antics, that kind of thing. What are your impressions of the season? I definitely agree with you there. They they definitely started having more fun, I feel like, with season two. Um, not just with the main cast dynamics, but season two, they definitely have more side characters when compared to season one. Um, you know, you've got your more recurring characters like Midge Smoot, Ginny, Felix, J.B. King, um, Mayor Flopdinger, you know, they, I would argue that they're as important as the mains who you're seeing every episode because they just add so much to it. And of course, we, uh, we, we can't go without mentioning that one of the big changes in season two is the switch from Ringo Starr to George Carlin as Mr. Conductor, who, um, as much as I love Ringo, and I, I dearly love his season one, Mr. Conductor, the dry humor of it all. Uh, George is always going to be the Mr. Conductor for me, without a doubt. Yeah, he, he is wonderful. I love the whimsy and the, just the genuine kind of playfulness that he brings to the role. Um, I feel like he he took it to, I mean, it's a different, I would say it's just a different characterization from Ringo. George's feels just more... A little more lighthearted, a little almost more childlike, I would say. Um, and I, I really love him. He was my first introduction to Mr. C, but I, I don't think I could choose. I have equal parts love for, for Ringo and George because they just they just have so their own style. And I, I do love the kind of dryness of, of Ringo. And he's, he's definitely more understated. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't downplay the dryness of, of Ringo and, and how... You know, it's funny because looking back on it, I feel like they tried to make Ringo's Mr. Conductor a little bit more of an adult figure. Um, Whereas when when George comes along, and I think he's even said this in in an interview in the past, but um, his Mr. Conductor was more the balance between the adults and the kids, not just strictly, you know, an adult figure or an authority figure for the kids. They definitely mixed it in. You can see a lot more playfulness in George's Mr. Conductor, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting. Britt has gone on record a few times as saying that, you know, George's... Well, not George's specifically, but I agree with you. I think more so George's Mr. Conductor straddles both worlds in that he is an adult, but he's small like a child. So he has those kind of two components. 
um, to him. So he's accessible to kids, but he also has some authority and some like, are you sure you want to do that? Or maybe you should think about this as well. Um, side to him. I also love what you said about the, the supporting characters because they, they help make the town of shining time feel real just in their comings and goings and their quirkiness. I always love Midge and Ginny and her wild sayings. Um, and we also, of uh, course, yes, get, absolutely. Yeah. We also get Billy, um, coming in instead yes. of Harry as well. So that's another big, big shift. Um, really great to have an indigenous character on the show, especially in the nineties. And I know probably part of that is due to Rick's own, uh, background, his heritage. But I just think that that was a really, a really wonderful choice in terms of casting. And yeah, Tom I said it last episode too, but, uh, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I don't know about other kids watching the show, but I wanted to be, uh, Billy Two Feathers. I wanted to be the cool engineer at the train station when I was a kid. So he <laughs> he definitely had a big impact. I love when you you made that post about his like his wardrobe, and you're like like Billy had the drip. I wanted kind of Billy style. <laughs> <laughs> I still do. <laughs> <laughs> I, again, um, we were gonna sing for you last time. Next time, we're gonna dress up for you. Um, <laughs> oh, watch out! Next Thomas fan meetup, I'm coming in full Billy Two Feathers. We, Billy Two Feathers cosplay, courtesy of the Barry Truck. <laughs> it is going to be incredible. Um, yeah. So, season two, uh, lots of fun. Season two, the other big change: we move production from um, New York to Toronto. Um, first for the Christmas special in 1990, and then for season two in '91. So we see a lot more. Um, uh, Canadian cast members joining uh, as some mm-hmm. of the supporting cast and as some of the kids. So Kara, uh, played by Erica Luttrell, and Dan, played by um, Ari Magder, both Canadian actors, as well as several mm-hmm. others. Uh, the fellow who played Barton Winslow, um, Gerard Parks. Uh, Gerard Parks, yeah. Yeah, Canadian as well, I believe. He was in a Muppet movie, I remember, too. Yeah, so that's another big thing. Yes, he was, in, he was in Fraggle Rock. He was Doc. Yes, I never saw Fraggle Rock, sadly. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's, it's such a good show. I know. Well, and he was in, you know what I saw him in a few years ago was that Muppet Christmas movie, not the Christmas Carol, but a different one where they're all yes! like at the house. He was in that. He was, you know what, that's, it's a bit of a side tangent, but that is my, one of my favorite Christmas movies ever. It gets a yearly watch from me every time I see it. I'm now, I mean, obviously now with having reintroduced myself to Shining Time, every time it it pops up on TV, I'm like, oh my God, it's Barton Winslow. I I love it. (laughs) You know what? I didn't even know he was in that. And then I was watching that movie with my mom a couple Christmases ago, which I loved by the way. And then I saw him and I was like, oh my God. Yes. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah there are some random i mean as we get further into season three there's like there was a the fellow who plays hobart hume he was on an episode of goosebumps and that freaked me out yes. because i rewatched goosebumps recently and saw him and was like what hobart what are you doing there um anyway many <laughs> tangents that we could get onto, but i feel like we should um kind of loop back in and um the first episode we're going to review is uh, a choice uh of mike's called Do I Hear? And this is the 18th episode of Series 2. Yes, indeed. So to give a brief rundown of this episode, uh, basically what's happening here is that Billy and Stacy are going to uh, a meeting at J.B. King's office in Snarlyville. Therefore, the kids have to leave the station early, which they are none too pleased about. 
Uh, so they decide to concoct a little plan to sneak back in after Billy and Stacy have gone. Uh, and who should be there with them? Of course, Schemer, the lovable Schemer. Uh, and he has discovered that someone has put a slug, which is a phony nickel, inside uh, one of his machines. And thinking that he's getting one over on our favorite little jukebox puppet band, Schemer decides that he's going to use that slug to get a free song. Uh, the jukebox band obviously sees right through it and decides to start acting up, which means Schemer has to call a repairman. The repairman shows up, fixes the jukebox, uh, and by fix we mean he just tells them that they've got to get back to work. Uh, and then to pay for the outrageous bill of, uh, what was it, Adrian? $11.89, I believe, was the total quoted? Yes, yes. I think that's what it was, yes. So, uh, you know, as Schemer says, nobody's got $11.89. And, and I think it's $0.85. Cent. Uh, so, is it 85? I think it's a dollar 85. <laughs> either yeah. way, close enough. Yeah, either way, it's it's less than $12, which nobody <laughs> has that kind of money, especially not in the 90s when this was being recorded. Absolutely. Uh, so, Schemer has the brilliant idea thanks to the kids to have an auction right there in Shining Time Station. But here's the catch. He is selling other people's possessions. As we see, he tries to sell uh, Billy's flute and even Mr. Conductor's whistle. Uh, thankfully, the kids stop this in time, and with a little help from our handy little repairman, uh, they stop the auction in time for Billy and Stacy to get back, and of course, give Schemer some good old discipline about why what he did is wrong. Absolutely. Now, Mike, why did you choose this as one of your favorite episodes of uh, Season 2? Uh, well, I'm not going to lie, and you saw right through it as soon as I told you that this was why I uh, wanted to pick this episode, but... The Thomas stories are a huge thing for me. The Thomas stories featured in this episode are Mavis and Toby's Tightrope, which, of course, both season three episodes, uh, the main episode starring, of course, Mavis, the diesel shunter. Uh, She is one of my favorites. Those two stories are absolutely some of my favorites of the entire series. Um, But beyond that, I also think that the dynamic of Schemer and the kids alone in the station is so fun to explore when there's there's no authority figure there you know as we see in the episode even mr conductor is sort of powerless to uh to schemer being around so you know it's fun to explore that dynamic where i mean schemer is basically a man child yeah exactly yeah yeah and and to explore the dynamic without any authority figure there it's really fun and of course you know the the elvis repairman is is a hoot and half so that's that's the reason i wanted to go with this one that's great it is it is an interesting and unique episode i funnily enough that was one of the first things that i wrote down when i was taking my notes for today was it was it's so cool i think it was so cool for me as a kid to watch the kids in the station without the adults i mean again we can't really count Mm -hmm. schemer as an adult um they just have free reign and as a kid i think we all kind of want that at some point like Oh, like rules of our parents. I wish, you know, I wish they just disappear and we could just, you know, do whatever we wanted. So that's, again, I think the show capturing kids' fantasies quite well, especially when they don't get what they want at the beginning. They're like, we don't get why we have to go away. Why can't we just stay in the station? Um, Yeah. 
So it's 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 a fun one for sure. Yeah, that's I mean that's exactly it. That's every kid wanted that moment of you know wanting to be home alone, yep. not having the parents around, and then having no idea what to do when when something inevitably goes wrong, as mm-hmm. it does in this situation too. So it, it mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I I agree with you too on the Thomas stories. I I remember this episode for those stories. I think more than anything, um, well, not more than anything, but definitely it stood out because the Mavis stories were new to me. Um, when I was watching yes. uh, season two. So um, do you have any particular memories uh, of this episode growing up? Or anything that, anything enough, that stood out? I, I never actually saw this episode growing up. What? Um, another one? I, yeah, I, I, another one. I know. There's so much I missed when I was a kid. I don't know if it's when I came into watching Shining Time, because obviously, you know, I was born in, in 1992, uh, after series two had ended, and then my first real memories of the show were obviously of seeing season three, which was you know kind of new at the time. Um, so I don't know if it's just because maybe the season two stuff wasn't in syndication as much because they were trying to push the new season. Probably, but I never saw this one when I was a kid. It wasn't until you know a couple of years back that I realized, like, wait a minute, I've what episode were the Mavis stories from? Like, I don't remember that at all. And I have to wonder, I mean, in looking up info on this episode, this episode aired on Christmas Day of 1991. Yeah, you're absolutely so right. I have to wonder, I, I, you have to wonder, like, did they not repeat it as much because the view count wasn't as high? Not factoring in that it was Christmas Day and people were probably spending time with their families, maybe? A very interesting theory. I mean, the only thing that is Christmassy is, like, the snow in the second episode. Um, it's a good point. It is an odd yeah. choice. I mean, why wouldn't they skip or or re-air the Christmas special again? Uh, you know, right. on that day in, in lieu of a new Shiny Time episode is an odd choice. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, but I do think it's nice to have the yeah, two Thomas stories strange. packaged together in one episode. I like that as a kid, and I think on some VHSs they're often separate, but it's they, they just flow so well together. Exactly. I mean, I've often made the case that, you know, it's hard for me to pick one over the other because they've just always gone together as a pair for me. Um, you can't really have Mavis without Toby's tightrope and vice versa. So, Inextricably uh, yeah, I, I always liked when, when, yeah, exactly. I always liked when they would have, you know, the running theme between the Thomas episodes in the same Shining Time storyline as well. So, um, yeah, that, that's a big thing for me, too. So do you have any big memories of this one growing up? Do you remember seeing it at all? Um, I do recall the kids being in the station. I recall um, certain things, some that I'll get into a bit later. I think one thing, rewatching it yesterday, I really noticed that as a kid, I didn't get the Elvis reference, oddly. It never landed with mm-hmm. me. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know that, I didn't get the sort of his like Elvis accent and his King repairman and all the lyric, <laughs> the Elvis lyrics that he just spring peppers that are peppered into his dialogue. Uh, <laughs> but as mm-hmm. an adult, I remember like now I really enjoy, especially just, just his just over the top kind of character and schemer, not getting it and just being like, ah, that guy reminds me of somebody. Listen, there's a possibility that this one might be haunted. You have a suspicious mind, sir. I'm sure it's not that. It's probably just all shook up. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, listen, the clock's ticking, so let's get to work, pal, huh? (laughs) 
it's just because schemer i'm sorry brian plays it really well (laughs) um yeah absolutely and you know what you you make a good point adrian because i think obviously watching this as an adult i get the reference i know that it's elvis i know when they're referencing the songs i don't think i would have got it as a kid either but i know that my parents would have which i think is what they were obviously factoring in that you know this is a quality family show obviously kids are going to be watching it with their parents sometimes so you've got to sprinkle in those little bits that are going to make the parents chuckle and and keep them interested too i i really i agree and i love that it did that because i think all good children's programming does serve both so that it can be a family show um and yes yeah i think it did it i think it did it well here um one kind of interesting tidbit that i read in an interview with rick sigelko was when he was writing the script for this episode, um, I met, we mentioned last time how Dr. Ron Slaby was the series advisor. So they'd run the first draft, um, sorry, the, the usually just the summary of the episode in the first draft by him to make sure there were no glaring issues when it came to, came to the kind of, the, especially the kids' um, psychology side of things. And he, Rick was really concerned about having an Elvis repairman because he thought that kids, like it was not okay to have somebody portraying Elvis, even though Elvis is dead. Like he thought that would somehow confuse mm-hmm. children or not be appropriate. And it was really funny. Cause he asked Ron and Ron's like, that's fine. Like it's just a total non-issue, but Rick was like <laughs> really worried about like, what are kids going to think? Um, which I think is kind of sweet. Um, Cause it's like, whatever, you know, to me as a kid, I know you didn't see it as a kid, but to me, I was like, Oh, it's just come some kind of like mm-hmm. weird repairman who seems kind of omnipotent in some way. Um, but I also, I did enjoy Stacy's reaction to Schemer when she gets back to the station. Schemer! Schemer! And she gives <laughs> him that little tap, which she probably wouldn't get away with now. But it's, I, and when no, she's like... No, absolutely not. And, yeah, absolutely not. And when she was like, um, you know, um, trying to sell other people's things, how could you do such a thing? And he's like, well, I just got the box and got the... And she's like, oh, Schemer! I love, I love that he just starts explaining to her. And it, well, Miss Jones! And it, it was just very... That was I, I find their um even when they're angry at each other, it's so funny. Oh yeah. It's, it's so funny. Fun. And and you gotta love Stacy's little oh Mr. Genius time. Yeah. Did you read the bill? Like <laughs> yeah. it says one dollar and eighty-five cents. And then Billy's like, it's You're so, so busy getting expecting to get tricked, you tricked yourself. Which is just it it was great because in that moment they don't even have to say much. He just sort of sits left with that. Oh, exactly. And you know what? In in talking about Billy, the thing that I kind of realized on rewatching these episodes that we're gonna discuss today, um, you know, Tom Jackson is just such a, a talented person, not only with acting, but he's also, you know, he's had a long music career and you know, he's done so many great things for, you know, various communities and uh one thing that struck me about him playing Billy Two Feathers is it feels like a very I don't know if I'm going to be even choosing the right words here but it feels so natural it doesn't feel like he's putting on a character it feels like he's just being himself but he's going under a different name you know like it it, it always felt like this was you know it, it wasn't like he was playing anything up for the camera he wasn't having to do any exaggerated character traits or anything like that it's a very relaxed and easy delivery and it just made it feel more impactful, I guess, in a way, because you, you feel like you're watching a real person. Yeah. That's, that's 
well said. I think it just was a very naturally portrayed character for him. You're, you're right. Very like quite understated. And, you know, there were moments where he gets a bit playful and whatnot, but that's kind of about it. He, he really, yeah. And I, I like that. I like that he's sort of this grounding force and that it does feel quite authentic. And I, I got the impression too, that he had a good time doing the show. Cause I know, like you said, he was busy. He's still busy. I was trying to get him on my second podcast and he was too busy to record a message for it. Cause he's, he, he's just had such a prolific career. Um, but it's just, it's, it's neat that he was on this show. I think as a Canadian actor and as an indigenous Absolutely. actor too, he's done so much, like you said, for various communities and for indigenous rights. Um, yeah. So I know he posted on Twitter He's posted one or two photos from the show and said, like, oh, good times, happy memories, which is kind of sweet. Yes. Yeah, of course. Um, Now, to get into the nitty gritty of the episode, what do you think of the song in the picture machine? I have a little brother. He's a pretty good friend. I have a lot of fun when I play with him, but it makes me mad and it breaks my heart when he goes and breaks my things apart. Oh, it's a worry when I get to my room at the end of the day And my toys are scattered every which way So I try to tell him and I try to explain But he just goes and does it again Now tell me why does he have to lose them? I hear my toys call and call and break them or abuse them I hear my toys fall and fall and why does he have to use them at all? And will he get better when he grows up? I'm going to be honest with you, I, I don't really like the song in the picture machine. Um, I, I can't quite pinpoint it, but I think it's just the fact that it, I don't know, it, it feels almost too kiddy or childish, I guess. Um, I never really got that vibe from other things in the picture machine before or, you know, other other songs or anything in the anything tunnel even like you know it just something about it strikes me as really really preschooler and everything before that was shining time it felt more universal it didn't feel like it was just honed in on one specific age range so uh you know it it doesn't really doesn't really do it for me personally but uh for others it uh, it might be good we should add by the way the uh, the song we're referring to uh, it's titled Better When He Grows Up, and uh, that was written and sung by Beverly Glenn Copeland. Yes, who is very a very talented musician and really, according to Rick, experiencing a huge resurgence in her, in her career right now. Um, yes. But I agree, I am not a fan of that song. I'm not a fan of those types of segments where it does get really kiddy. There's another one in season three, I think in Schemer Alone with the babies, uh, and... Yeah, <laughs> it just gets weird. It gets a bit too weird for me. So, but mm-hmm. funnily enough, what it was for me in not liking this as a kid is I hated, I would cringe seeing this kid destroy all his brother's toys, especially when he was pulling mm-hmm. out the tape, the tape from the old cassette. Like, oh, uh, like there's something I, I've always had a really hard time with people destroying other people's things just for the sake of destroying them and so as a kid i hated this segment because i just thought that child was such a devil and then at the end you know you just see them like (laughs) 
you know, he's like, he just wreaks havoc on all his brother's stuff. You see no reaction to his brother. And then his brother's like out flying a kite and he's grown up into a different child actor. And um, they're having all this fun together. I'm mm-hmm. like, that kid was evil. Like, um, like he broke, he broke his <laughs> brother's pencil crayons in half. He, like, he's the sadistic child. <laughs> anyway, that's just my, sorry, I'm a bit carried away. But um, I was not a fan. The ending was sweet. And I do like the song itself. The song isn't bad, but I just don't like the music video. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. It's it's not uh, it's not my favorite of the uh, the picture machine offerings throughout the series, but that's all right. They can't all be winners. That's absolutely right. Um, the Mavis stories make up for it because they are just delicious, and especially with George's yes, narration, un- unquestionably. Um, oh yes. Are there anything about those episodes that I mean? I know Mavis is a favorite of yours. Anything, is there anything more that you'd like mm-hmm. to say about the Thomas stories or their choice for this episode? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, definitely uh, the choice of Mavis plays into, uh, you know, the moral of, you know, when someone tells you to do something, um, you know, especially if it's someone who's older, you know, you can't discount what they're saying. They might know what they're talking about, which, you know, we we see Mavis experience that when Toby tries to tell her a certain way of going about pulling the trucks and she uh, does not listen and ends up in a whole bunch of trouble. Um, but I just, yeah, I, I really love these stories. Um, it's one of those things where I don't, I, I can't really explain why other than, you know, obviously Mavis being a favorite of mine. Um, but it's just, there's something so special about them. Maybe it's because it's season three of Thomas, which I can't I can't think of season three of Thomas without thinking of seasons two and three of Shining Time and vice versa. They're so intrinsically linked to me that it's just, you know, as soon as I I see a Thomas episode from season three, my mind immediately goes like, oh, I remember when I saw this on Shining Time Station, too. You know, it's just there's something so special about it. But um, yeah, I, I think. The interesting thing, too, about Mavis, especially in right in light story of uh, recent information, is how they in promotional material, at least they seem to really be pushing her as the prominent female engine character, Um, you know, especially in light of what we learned about how Rick Sigelkow did not want Daisy present in uh, Shining Time Station at all. Rightfully so, I can understand it based on, you know, the choices that uh, David Mitten and crew made with the makeup and such. But, um, yeah, it's it's interesting that, you know, right on the heels of season two, the next series introduces Mavis. And for all the promotional material and the press releases about how she was this prominent female character, when you break it down, she's only in really two episodes of the whole series three. Uh, so it just always struck me as odd, especially with how they split series three's filming up. Uh, you would think that if they wanted to have her more present and have more female representation, maybe she would have been more present in those last 10 stories, or they would have given her more screen time, but oddly enough, it doesn't happen. Or that they would have picked a Brenner magazine story because they did that a fair bit without crediting him in season three. Series three. Why didn't why yes, wouldn't they do that with with that demand? Because we know that they were getting a lot of flack at that point, or Brit was by ninety one, um, from people saying that Thomas was male dominated 
show, which it is. I mean, it was written a long time ago. Um, but you're right. Yeah, let's not beat around the bush. Yeah, well, come on. Yeah, it's. I mean, the the, the female characters yeah. are very typecast uh, and and you know yeah. play very minimal roles. Um, but that's hard when you're working within this sort of canon of, of stories and you're trying to remain as faithful to them as possible then trying to update them um, and pick and choose. Right. I, I always loved these Mavis stories. I think they're very unique and I, I think they're just well constructed. I like the music and her theme. I like mm-hmm. the, the, the pacing and the diversity of the stories because they're very different. The first one, and the second one, yes, and I and I enjoy this. You know what I really enjoy is the start of the second episode. How um, uh, Percy comes to the quarry and finds Mavis. It just is a really nice introduction. It's so different from the first story, and it it loops mm-hmm. another engine back into the world uh, of sort of the quarry life and Mavis's uh, struggles that she's going through. And I think for that reason, I just I I think they're very well constructed, well filmed, and well executed stories in general. Yes, absolutely. I I couldn't have said it better. They're they're some of the most, in, in terms of story construction, it's it's very nice how you have a pair of episodes where the first one is a little bit more laid back. There's not as much action per se, but there's still something interesting that happens to drive the story. And a different and kind the of second action. story is or where like you really get the action. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a different kind of action. Yeah, yeah, and and of course it just visually some of the best looking episodes of the series up to that point and even today like it's still so fun to see the snow covered quarry and the bridge destruction scene in Toby's tightrope will always be a favorite of mine for sure it's so dramatic also another one that struck me yes. as a kid was that um, image of when excuse me when Mavis is stuck and they're trying to thaw the tracks with the coals and there's that shot of the hot coals on the mm-hmm. track steaming up in front of this like laughing truck's face it's just like, something very yes. like sort of ominous but also like just almost a little spooky about it and then with coupled with the breakdown train music um, two I think really solid stories an angry farmer was telling Mavis just what she could do with her train and um, and then we we get the riddle song uh, as our jukebox band song, kind of toward the end of the episode, what do you think of what do you think of that one? I really think it's it's one of my favorite jukebox songs of the entire series. Um, it's just so beautifully done. Um, you know, it, it's it's a very slow song. It's a very soft song, but you get such a beautiful combination of voices because you've got. Uh, you know, Vanessa Thompson, who, of course, is uh, Grace the Bass. Uh, and then we also have, funnily enough, uh, on the day of this recording, uh, yesterday would have been the birthday of Alan Seamock, who was the voice of... Uh, was he Tex or Rex? He... Oh, test me now. I, I want to say Tex. I think he was Tex, but he, the singing voice was Rory Dodd, um, who sang on Total Eclipse, Eclipse of the Heart... <laughs> Tyler right (laughs) and their voices together are beautiful in this like Venice and Rory yes they complement each other so well it's and I love how they trade off the verses and then eventually come back together at the very end for the the sort of climax of the song it's just so wonderfully done that final harmony when they sit when they're singing no crying yes it's just it's yeah it's very beautifully done Cherry when it's blooming, it has no stone. 
Thank you very much, guys. It's interesting. I I have a lot of fondness for that song now because I only recently really discovered it again as an adult and then, like I was saying, um, recorded it onto my iTunes so I could listen to it. It's a very touching song. I find it very... It's sort of a beautiful love song, lullaby kind of quality to it. But as a kid, I think I often, to be honest, fast forwarded it, which I'm ashamed to admit. But as a kid, I slower songs, I'd get bored. It's weird. I just, but I didn't have the same appreciation. But as, as I've gotten older, I love them. Love, love, love. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone, but for myself, I mean, as a kid, it was always more exciting when the jukebox band was doing like the the upbeat rock and roll <laughs> kind of stuff or like the faster country stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, like mama but, don't allow you know, or something. You, oh yes. That's oh, it's such a good performance. It's so good. Um, but you know, as you get older, you start to appreciate the other ones. Like, you know, obviously uh, this one, but also I think of one of the first things that comes to my mind when I think of the jukebox band is when they do Cumberland gap in washout again very slow song very mellow but it's just so beautifully performed and you know when people we were discussing this a little bit earlier but when people kind of skim through shining time episodes just to kind of get to the thomas stories they miss out on a lot of these really beautiful performances that the jukebox puppets did and you know if for anyone who is who is curious about shining time i can't stress it enough don't skip your way through because you're going to miss out on some really good gems in there. Absolutely. And also, I really appreciate that they're not just kiddie songs. It's not like wheels on the bus. Like it's these are beautiful folk songs. A lot of them are very adult themed. You know, we have Waltzing Matilda in another episode. Yeah. They're dealing with really intense themes of death and sadness. And but they're done in a way that is, I think, kid accessible. And again, it's not dumbing it down. And you're, you're hearing these beautiful folk songs that are quite carefully written and composed and very well sung. Um, so I, yeah, I, uh, I agree. And yeah, also, I, I agree. They, they do a very good job of, of, you know, making these in some cases, songs that we have known, you know, they do, yeah. I think in one of the family specials, they do this land is your land. Yes. Um, you know, very familiar songs. And so they put a great spin on it though, because it's, I, I've gone back and I've listened to some of the like original folk recordings of these songs very different from what you hear the jukebox band doing but they refreshed it in a way that it keeps these songs alive and it presents them to a new generation and i i just think that's such an awesome thing and the fact that they were able to pull it off with such talented people is really a credit to the show absolutely and it's a credit to steve horlick as well who did um the musical arrangements on the show and and hopefully uh joseph and him are successful in releasing uh the the masters uh so we get those songs in good quality because i mean we have them in better quality oh, now with joseph's so. uploads but they're just yeah they're so beautiful um just on the note of the jukebox before we kind of move on we also get to see the jukebox from the rear for the first time yes which is incredibly yeah unique. it's you know <laughs> yeah i mean the thing that really strikes me um Obviously, you know, th this is the first time that we've seen another human uh, take note of, you know, ac they actually see the jukebox band for themselves. Uh, the, you know, the as we see in the episode, the Elvis repairman, uh, who just to give some credit, played by George Thomas, uh, he sees the band. And the thing that I find interesting is that 
he kind of shushes them as they're freaking out that he's looking in on their little their little stage there. Uh, and he says, it's okay, I won't tell anybody, but you gotta get back to work. And it makes me think, like, does this repairman, is, is this a common phenomenon? Does he often go into jukeboxes and find little puppet bands that are waiting to play the song? Because he's not freaked out. He's really not. It is done. You can trust me. I won't tell. But you better get back to work now. <laughs> I know. That's such a great question. It's just so charming. That thought, that, sorry, Mike, the whole thought of that is so charming. That he's like, oh, I know, like a, spe- a specific repairman who deals in jukeboxes that are housed by specifically little puppet bands that do live performances. I love that he's complicit in keeping their secret. It's so sweet. Um, and um, mm-hmm. how scared they are of him. And it is neat to see somebody like take off the you know, the door, the fake door of the back of the jukebox. And I mean, in real life, it was just an empty prop. There would have just been a few lights on the inside. So that's what he's really looking at. But I also thought it was neat how they, um, you know, sort of switched the jukebox interior set around and then did that beautiful um, lighting effect of the front grill of the jukebox onto that sort of mesh on the front. It just looks, it it really sold the look, I think, um, of them being right behind there, you know, playing playing their little song. Um, I have one more note on the Elvis guy. Uh, I I don't know how many folks are aware. It depends if you've read the interview. I think it's on the SIF website, but Rick was saying that the first um, take that this fellow did of his Elvis impression had everyone in stitches, but it was too over the <laughs> top. So he'd, he had to ask him to sort of like rein it in a little bit um, <laughs> so that it was like a little more subtle. So we're seeing the subtle version of Elvis, which is still quite, you know, direct, you know, I'm also go. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very suave and very, very laid back in terms of how you would normally see someone do Elvis, because a lot of people would obviously, you know, it would be over the top. And I think it works as a more laid back performance for Shining Time in particular. I think so too. He's almost like, dare I say a little bit sexy? Like there's a little bit like in his outfit and his <laughs> swagger. Like he just has a bit of like, he's got as Austin Powers would say, he's like got mojo. I think the selfish guy. Yeah. Um, and he's wearing like a gold repairman jacket. Like this dude's got style. And mm-hmm. I also love that he can't afford blue suede shoes. So we get schemer you know, schemer can't afford dollar eighty five bill, but he can afford to give away a brand new pair of blue suede shoes. It's so ludicrous. You can't put a price on looking good, Adrian. That's that's the way it goes. <laughs> well, and we also know because he said his mommy got them for him. So <laughs> true, true. Now this also begs another interesting question, though, because do we do we have any confirmation of when? shining time station actually takes place because you have to think did schemer giving the repairman the blue suede shoes kickstart his music career as elvis genius do we have schemer to thank for the musical phenomena that is elvis presley yes <laughs> that's i like to think we do it's, it's a great reality it's a really good point it's a really good point because shining time you can never really pin down the era of it like you it seems new sometimes but mostly old especially with the way schemer is obsessed with nickels 
because they would have had to be like quite mm-hmm. a while ago. But then their dress, it's it's. I think it's kind of a hodgepodge. Um, but I I think I think you're onto something, Mike. I think uh, we've got a, a really solid theory there for all the Elvis fans out there. It was um, Horace Schemer. Well, now you've just got me thinking. If if they made Shining Time Station in today's era, would Schemer be obsessed with Bitcoin or NFTs or something like that? Oh God, he probably would. That is. Oh, <laughs> God. This is not an encouragement for you somebody can't to. Put that in, you can't put that in your money belt, unfortunately. So that would ruin that appeal. This is not encouragement for somebody to write an NFT episode about Schemer. Just, um, just a dis- <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer. As somebody, <laughs> just oh my god, kids. Yeah, but... please, not not all my ideas are good. Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, amazing. Um, yes. So now, um, do you have any final thoughts on that episode before we move on, Mike? Well. It's, again, it's just one of those things where it was such a pleasant surprise to stumble upon this episode as an adult. Um, I'm sure if I had watched it as a kid, probably would have been one of my favorites. Um, But discovering it nowadays, you know, it's, again, there's just so many more things that I appreciate from the Elvis reference to the choice in the Thomas stories. um, And of course, you know, the, the beautiful jukebox song at the end. Um, I don't know if I would have appreciated it as much if I had seen this as a kid. So, yeah, yeah, coming into it with an adult perspective, I, I really love this episode. I think it's it's one of the more underrated Shining Time episodes. Uh huh. Totally. And I love when Elvis says, "Thanks, guys. Thanks for that, guys." At the end of the song, because they play yes. that as a thank you to yeah. him. Um, what would you rate this, Mike, out of ten? I'm gonna have to give it a nine. Uh, honestly, the the only thing that doesn't do it for me, as we discussed previously, is the song in the picture machine. Uh, everything else about this episode is wonderful to me. Um, you know, obviously, as we discussed, we've got the Thomas stories, we've got the jukebox song. Uh, Schemer's interaction with the kids is wonderful, um, especially you know when you get to the auction scene and he, he doesn't quite know how auctions work, so he's trying to sell it for less and less, and only realizes a mistake afterwards. Um, you know just some some great comedic moments from brian here i know only schemer would do it in reverse five do i get five four three two two cents oh it's just uh let's have the bidding begin at uh, ten cents ten cents do i hear nine cents nine cents nine cents do i hear eight cents eight cents i just bid nine cents exactly do i hear seven cents Seven cents, do I hit six? Six, do I hit five? Four, three, two cents, two cents sold to the guy! And then you see the moment afterwards, like, and you, you even, and he realizes his mistake. Yeah, you, you even have the passenger who's like, eight cents? I just bid nine cents. I know. I know. And actually, interesting, that passer, passenger features several times in the show. She's in, I think, four, she does, yeah. three or four episodes. Um, that particular passenger and i love i love her voice and her um yeah her just her her style so you give it a, a nine lovely i would give it a nine yeah i think it's a very solid episode i would recommend it to anyone who who hasn't seen it or who wants to revisit shining time definitely recommend it for me uh what about you what do you rate it adrian well just before i rate it i was gonna say if if the picture machine song had had a different music video do you think you would have liked it a bit more because my sense for me is yes yeah Absolutely. I think if there was a different Picture Machine song, I'd, I'd probably give it a 10. 
Okay, or like a different, or even just like a different music video that's shot, like that even has the same song, but just a better music video? Uh, no, I think it would be, it would have to be a different song. Uh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the song itself, but uh, yeah, if they had changed that up, I think we would have had a, a pretty flawless episode of Shining Time on our hands. Um, well, I'm not, I'm not far behind you in terms of my rating, uh, Mike. I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Um, I really, I enjoy the kids being on their own at the station. Like I said before, I love the Mavis stories. Mr. C sort of being almost taken advantage of by Schemer. All his stuff is being auctioned off. We really get a sense of threat at the Mm -hmm. end. And then Billy and Stacy coming to the rescue. Schemer learning his lesson, well, at least for now. Um, the reason I gave it 8.5 is something about the, I was just trying to articulate it earlier and something about the pacing feels a little off for me or it felt a little off for me as a kid. Um, I can't quite put my finger mm-hmm. on it, uh, but it's it's a very enjoyable episode overall. Uh, really solid, really mm-hmm. solid entry um, in the kind of season two catalog. The following is a paid advertisement for Perez Pronto Bus Company. Winter snow or summer sun, taking the bus is lots of fun. When it's too hot to walk. Riding your bicycle makes you break into a sweat? Then why don't you take the easy way and go for a ride on the Perez Pronto bus? Every window opens on our bus, and most of the time, we're right on time. With trips to Fort Farley, Pelican Falls, Lucy's Leap, and, of course, Cloggyville, and all the places in between. Remember, there's only one Perez Pronto bus. Hi, I'm Mike O'Donnell, one of the composers of the original Thomas the Tank Engine theme, and I'm here to tell you that I have released a selection of re-recorded themes and songs from the classic shows in a series of albums called The Engine Themes. These albums include a variety of classic themes and songs from the original TV series, as well as a few new compositions. You can purchase these albums on CD or digital download, as well as posters and pin badges. Have a look online at modmusic.co.uk. And for a special offer for Right On Track listeners, you can use the special code ROT20 for a 20% discount on all digital downloads. Be sure to enter the code when making your purchase. Thank you for your support and happy listening. Take care and stay safe. Okay, so we're going to move on to our next episode of Season 2. This was a a favorite of mine. Um, This is All's Fair, which is the lovely season finale. So the 20th episode of Mm -hmm. Series 2. And I'll give everyone just a summary for for those who haven't seen it. So we see the start of the episode and the kids putting up a poster on the picture machine. Um, Indian Valley County Fair starts today. So... That's the sort of the the plot of the episode. We have this fair um, and we have Schemer and Stacy both kind of entering in their own way into the pie making contest. Um, In Stacy's absence, we have the kids and Billy taking care of the station and they make several blunders and worry that the station might be closed because we get um, our lovely supporting actresses um, who play 
a Mitch Smoot and Ginny uh, get kind of put out and miss a train and have to wait and end up taking Felix Perez's bus. Um, and then we have, you know, some lovely music in there. Uh, a Thomas story. We've got uh, Edward Trevor and the really useful, useful party told by Mr. C. Um, we get Billy reassuring the kids that the station wouldn't close, um, that it's okay to make mistakes. And we get a nice little appearance um, by J.B. King, who comes in looking for Mr. C and um, has a really beautiful sort of picture machine segment that uh, tells a story of him as a young boy. And um, mm-hmm. and then at the end, you know, we, we get the, kind of <laughs> the really funny finale of um, the pie... The pie flinger whacking both schemer and little <laughs> schemy in the face. Um, and the mayor <laughs> kind of can't coming in and judging the pie contest. It turns out uh, schemer and schemy have stolen Stacy's baked pies and put whipped cream on them. And then they end up going on their faces and from their faces, the mayor <laughs> takes a lick, and, like a finger and then a lick and says, oh, inspired, you're the winner. So Stacy wins the contest. The marching <laughs> band comes in. Everyone rejoices, and and we get um, a really funny entrance and exit. You know, with Schemer and Schemy wearing strawberry costumes, and everyone heading off to the fair. Um, and then finally, Billy getting a moment of peace, and then Mister C riding through his legs and saying, uh, "So long until the next surprise," which to me was just such a beautiful <laughs> way to sum up the vibe of Shining Time Station. And I always loved episodes where there's all this chaos and then all of a sudden you get this lovely quiet and this calm station environment and somebody just having a little reflection and then a little music cue and we're out. So I think a yes, really absolutely. fun, really fun finale. Um, so w- do you have any kind of early memories of this, Mike, this episode? Yeah, in uh, in stark contrast to the last episode, I do remember seeing this one as uh-huh. a kid. Uh, this one is very memorable, of course, as you mentioned. I mean, it, it's memorable enough for just Schemer and Schemey dressed as the strawberries alone. Um, but it's it's just such a it's such a fun episode. A very stark contrast to the season finale of season one, where yes. you don't know if there's going to be a Shining Time station. Uh, after J.B. King has had his final say. Whereas in this one, you know, you constantly have Billy throughout the episode saying, oh no, Shining Time Station will be here for a very long time. So I appreciate that tonal shift and like, you know, almost reassuring the kids, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Even if you make mistakes, it's all good. Yeah, the stakes are a little bit less and you've got a sense that Billy is is like, it's, you know, it's okay. It's, this is not great, but we've got this. You know, Shine Time Station will be here for mm-hmm. as long as... And that whole speech that he does is so beautiful. Just beautifully told. Really the music and the kids sort of looking at him mm-hmm. entranced. Um, yeah, it's a great... It's a great one. This Obviously, I chose this episode for a reason. It's a huge standout for me. Um, I... Mm-hmm. Probably it was similarly. I love the strawberry outfits bit. I think it's just peak comedy. Um, I also love the beginning where <laughs> Mr. C is again like, "I um, look what I want at the fair. I ate a whole baked bean, two entire <laughs> French fries, and a bite and a half of apple pie." <laughs> um, and again, the whole baked bean is just like a whole shrimp from <laughs> our last episode, and yeah. <laughs> sweet. And he's got his cotton candy and his little bear and. Um, it was just like, like it was a fun episode and and also incredibly heart 
felt. I one of the my favorite sort of pieces of of the episode is the home um, picture machine segment and song featuring you know JB King essentially yes. as a young boy and his whole his whole story with that. I I'm still very you know kind of touched by that um, to this day. And it, just to share kind of a personal story with that, I um since I moved to Toronto, I'm, I'm living here now. I've been here for about 10 years. I've been determined to find a location where that was shot. And I did get in touch with uh, Frank Vitale, who shot all the location um, music videos and segments. And he said, oh, somewhere in the valley. I think it's around here and here. And I looked, literally, I spent like last winter kind of doing my walks and looking all around. Well, I found the place. It is, in fact, Toad Morden Mills, which is literally like a five-minute walk from my house down the hill not far from evergreen brickworks <laughs> and they shot it back there in the 90s and at that time there was a station there and it was the don station which is a historic station and it had been further south on the don just south of queen street it had been moved up to Toadmorden mills in 69 excuse me and kind of preserved there and been there for quite a while um was there until 2008 at which time it was broken like um, taken apart into sections, moved to Roundhouse Park, and then restored fully. It was sort of not as utilized in Toadmore Mills because there wasn't a station going through there. Anyway, of course, because the station wasn't there, I didn't think it was the same location until I did a reverse Google image search, found the station, looked up the whole story, and so I just had this whole thing. And I would go to that site at Toadmorden Mills when I was on my walks and reflect and feel like it was so much like the scene from that music video, like the just the the grass and everything and then I realized it is the very location and now I finally mapped out what is what so it has a very personal kind of you know connection to me and the the song oh, I love the lyrics I, I I love the idea of sort of a lost boy story and then finding his way back to his parents it makes me think of like JB King almost in his inner child or something you know it's just like I know Mr. Conductor is around here somewhere why is he so set on finding him and realizing that he's there? And then by the end, he remembers these forgotten lyrics of, um, uh, and it's wonderful how all at once you're where you wished for all along and realizes that he's meant to be at Shining Time Station. He's, he's meant to be doing what he's doing. It's sort of this reaffirming. Uh, and then he thanks Mr. Conductor and kind of walks away. I cannot watch that. <laughs> Seen without tearing up, truth be told. I'm an emotional guy, but um, yeah, I just have a very strong connection to that. All the happiness with those you care for When you finally know what you're there for And it's wonderful how suddenly You're in the place where you belong All the sharing that makes Life worth living And the pleasure you get Cause you're giving And it's wonderful how All at once you're Where you wished for all along I'm home the poem and it's wonderful how all at once you're where you wished for all along <laughs> yes that's it 
This is where I belong. It's always been here. Thank you for helping me remember, Mr. Conductor. Wherever you are. And also the beginning is filmed at Union Station in Toronto, which is kind of cool. Yes, yeah, I was going to say, when I was re-watching it, I was like, I recognize that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are your What are your thoughts on that um, Picture Machine segment? Well, I mean, as you said, Adrian, it's just such a beautiful, overall, I mean, the music itself is beautiful. The music video has been shot wonderfully. Um, I'm, I'm still, I remember when you, you posted about your discovery about the Dawn Station and uh, did I believe it's they moved it to the Roundhouse Park, didn't they? Yeah, in two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah. So for any Canadians, any non-Canadians who may be traveling here, if you're Toronto bound, then I can't recommend Roundhouse Park enough. It is a railway buff uh, haven. You will find so many cool things there. You could go inside um, the station but, and and visit the gift shop and also ride the train around the station. <laughs> you could, you, yeah, you you could reenact the boy coming out of the station in the home music video if you wanted. So there you go. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, it's it's funny because when I look at this whole scene with JB King, you know, in Shining Time Station before this episode and even after this episode. They always kind of play J.B. King looking for Mr. Conductor with more of a comedic tone. So it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, especially if you're watching it sequentially, to finally get this episode where we get a very honest and very vulnerable explanation of why he wants to find Mr. Conductor uh, and, and why he's such an important figure to him, it really puts everything else in perspective. And I think it even adds a little bit more weight to the end of... Uh, the season one finale when just seeing Mr. Conductor's hat is enough to change his mind and make him say, you know what, we're going to keep Shining Time Station open. Yeah, and you really get a sense of the magic, especially because, you know, um, George Carlin's Mr. C is there to put the nickel, you know, in on top of the um, picture machine for J.B. King to find. So there's just something so sweet about, like, him reassuring him in that way and saying, like, no, the magic is here. You're where you're supposed to be. It's okay. Um, I, I don't know why that, I think that moves me in, in, a, in a deep way because I've always kind of believed in, in, in magic and things that, you know, oh, just because we can't explain it or just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. So I think it captures that theme really well. Um, there was also another, um, tidbit, interestingly, that that song was composed by the same fellow who did the theme song, Joe Raposo. For the uh, 1976 animated film Raggedy Ann, A Musical Adventure, which coincidentally featured Didi Khan as the voice of Raggedy Ann back in the day. So I don't know if Didi was aware really? of that connection. Yeah. I don't know if she was aware of that connection. Uh, I mean, she probably, I don't even know if she, well, she might have seen the episode. I don't know. She was pretty busy, but um, that's kind of a, a wild, uh, a wild link there. Hey. That you know what it's funny because I like I didn't know that obviously but um, I can perfectly picture Dee Dee Khan as the voice of Raggedy Ann. That's a very fitting voice. <laughs> I know because she does have a childlike voice in a lot of ways, um, especially when she was younger. So I think that oh I, for sure I think that fits in it. It's interesting how they repurposed it for this story, but it, it was a very well written um, episode. Just you know credit to the credit to the writers. 
And of course, I mean, it's it's very fitting for the, the motif of Shining Time and the production of how, you know, you think about the picture machine and how there's these old cartoons or these old folk songs that the jukebox are playing. Um, you know, it, it's it's things from the past that are being repurposed for a new generation. And that applies to even this song, too. So, yeah, it's it's a it fits right in. It doesn't feel like it's out of place. It fits perfectly with the feel of the episode and the feel of Shining Time Station as a whole. Totally. And then we get, you know, after Billy's beautiful speech that we referenced earlier, we get um, the lovely um, jukebox song, which is Mm -hmm. um, the railroad cars are coming. And it's a lovely sort of uh, following to what Billy is saying. There will always be trains and there will always be Shining Time Station. And then they go into this beautiful kind of railroad song. Um, and with the accompanying clips of the train, it's always been a favorite. And I love the the opening piano riff. Like, it's just with Tito playing yes. on his little random kind of corner piano, bent piano. <laughs> um, and <Yeah>. another <laughs> well-sung song by, by Rory Dodd there. Yes, that Billy sure knows his trains. Don't eat eggs. Well, so do we, Rex. Hey, you guys. We also happen to know a song about railroad cars. Well, then, this one's for Billy. Right on. Hit it. The Great Pacific Railway for California Hail. Bring on. This is another beautiful one from the Jukebox Papa Band. This is another one that stands out to me for sure. It's It, it matches, I, I guess, in, in terms of the other songs we talked about and kind of what we were discussing in, in the last episode, it's a good balance between the sort of mellow feel and the softer, uh, more soothing songs that the Jukebox Band would sing, but it also has its own little drive to it. it it's got sort of a a softer rock flair and it just it, it, it feels very railroad-esque in the way that it kind of keeps driving forward you know with the beat that's a really great way of characterizing that song it, absolutely because it's got this gentle lull but it's persistent and it and it carries the song and it, the song gets a little bit more upbeat but it still doesn't lose that heart yeah i completely agree uh it looks like the writer was ellis weiner um who did writing for SN or uh, National Lampoon, I believe. Um, but he did yes, a lot of great yes. writing uh, for the series. He's a man of few words as seen in one of his interviews. But um, <laughs> I, he really, I think, was a great writer. Um, I will say I'm not a fan of the Thomas story in this episode. Um, I, I think I, I didn't mind it as a kid. I thought it was an okay story, but I don't like the title. The story feels a bit disjointed to me. I, I, uh, it's it's what's dragging down my rating a little bit for this episode is is that 
Thomas story personally, but I know other people maybe are a bit more divided on Edward, Trevor, and the really useful party. <laughs> it's even a mouthful to get out. I, can't, I know. Like, <laughs> what were they thinking? <laughs> Edward, no, they should have well, just called you it know, it's Edward, because... Trevor, Terrence, Bertie, and the really useful party. They may as well. Just go for it. <laughs> just, just list every character. Every the character. vicar, Edward's driver. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Topham Hatt. <laughs> Everyone makes mistakes, Becky. The trick is pulling together to correct them. Like the time with Edward, Trevor, Terence, and Bertie. Well, let me start at the start and begin at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, it's funny, too, because in, like, the standalone... I, I remember when I was a kid, I got one of the standalone book releases of, you know, the, the book adaptation of this episode, and it's just called Edward and the Party. Even that would have been. You have, to say, you have to say the whole thing again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that episode. That's how I'm going to refer to it from now on. That would be um, better. Edward in the garden it. party, right? Yeah. Or, or Trevor in the party. However you want. Just condense it down a little bit. It just but, always felt yeah, a bit like know, two I... separate stories for me. I don't know. That's the thing. I, I, I agree with you there in that. I'm I'm a bit mixed on this episode because I do think it's pleasant. I do love I more of the slice of life sort of stories, but um, especially in comparison to other series three episodes where they've taken two stories and combined them, it doesn't feel like this one flows as well. It feels very much like, well, we've got one story and we've got another, and I guess we're just going to try and sandwich them together with no real good segue between them. Um, yeah. And... You know, as much as I love the combination of characters, um, you know, Edward and Trevor, I, I always love seeing them together. Even Terrence shows up for a little bit, which is great. Um, you know, it, it, again, it's just, it, it doesn't feel, I, I feel like they could have used a few more revisions to make everything Agreed. flow a little bit more seamlessly. And, um, you know, of course, as as most Thomas fans know, uh, there was a scene, a deleted scene from this episode that surfaced in some books and magazines later, uh, showing Diesel uh, actually sort of antagonizing Edward and Trevor at the orchard. So you have to wonder, you know, what sort of role would he have played in this? Would that have dragged the story down more or would it have improved things? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, it's inter- an interesting question. I think it could have improved it if, because for me, the conflict of the garden party not having anyone going to it versus the conflict that happens at the garden party are so unrelated. So if somehow they had Diesel mm-hmm. trying to like maybe like sabotage the party or I don't know, some other thread that just was more on par with the main conflict in the story, it would flow. Whereas they just have Birdie coming in and being all speedy and then he appears later and gets into gets stuck and it just yeah, it doesn't it doesn't link well enough. Like as a kid I enjoyed watching it, but as an adult I'm like, okay, this I just yeah, I wanted to have a couple more rewrites. Uh, similarly. Yeah, I honestly, I have to wonder if the original intent of Diesel was to, you know, first show up and obviously antagonize Trevor and Edward about how no one would want to come to a party where there's just old steam engines. Uh, and then maybe, maybe he's the reason for Birdie being all, you know, uh, braggadocious and arrogant with Trevor. Maybe Diesel word. gasses Birdie up a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because he would have been... He would have been fun because he doesn't appear much in series three at all. So, um, 
He's got a few roles, but a yeah, few, right? Be, Diesel does it, it again. Nice to is see his, how he would have been integrated. Is his main one, right? Yeah, they they stick him in that. They they obviously use him as the replacement for Daisy, Daisy uh, in yeah. Mavis. And I feel like I'm missing. Oh, I guess he's in Tender Engines later in season three. But I think yeah, that's it's a it. very small role. Yeah, the very writers small. I think under yeah, for sure they underutilized the um the diesel engines for sure. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, and especially as you get later into the seasons, you know, so many opportunities for characters like Boko or Daisy or even Derek, you know, some of the underused ones. They could have been integrated a lot better for sure. But um, yeah, that that even stems back to this episode. If, if Diesel had been included, I think it could have been a whole different story. Totally, totally. Yeah, so that's the only thing that, you know, I mean, I didn't bother me as a kid, but now I'm just like, eh. Just to move on to some trivia, I know I mentioned the kind of piece about the home music video. Uh, it's interesting that, um, yes, some of the footage from this episode was used in the George Carlin 2022 documentary, which I haven't seen, but I have queued. Um, and I really, yeah, I really want to check it out. It's a, it's a hefty one, but looks kind of interesting. Um, I also have a uh, kind of exciting thing in the future. Uh, for those who aren't aware, I'm doing a Shiny Time Station prop display at the um, Greenberg uh, Toy and Train Show in Edison, New Jersey on the November 26th and 27th weekend. And there will be a prop from this episode um, in the display. And I'm not going <laughs> to say what it is at the moment, but it's something definitely fun. And I think I think will be uh, surprising for folks to see. Um, I will I will say I I just again I love Schemer's whole little wacky you know strawberry thing and his pie flinger. I love when he calls it when the mayor's there and he's like the pie flopdinger and the mayor's like what and he's like oh pie flinger I mean (laughs) it's so great and then and then. it's funny, Rick mentioned during one of my podcast reunions that um, Brian actually fell on a funny way on his ankle when he was in the strawberry costume. And I think you can see the take when he's going up the stairs and he falls on his ankle when he's just the last time when he's exiting with Schemey because they fall over several times. They roll down the stairs as strawberries and then try and yeah. climb back up. Um, I I don't know, maybe that... I would love to dress as a strawberry costume for Halloween, but but those strawberry costumes, because they have a little <laughs> hat, you know, with the like the leaves, the green leaves, and then the, yeah, you know... Yeah, the little stem hat. Yeah. The little stem hat, and then, like, the red red sweater and red pants with the big, big, puffy strawberry. Um, it. I feel like this episode just had a really wonderful blend of, you know... Mr. C, Schemer's funny antics, um, a bit of conflict with the kids in the station, but nothing dire, a lovely little segue with J.B. King, and then a great finale of everyone going to the fair. And it, even though it sounds like a lot when I'm describing it, I think it actually melded very well together as a whole. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And there's, I mean, in rewatching it, there's a few things that kind of stick out to me. I always kind of preferred the Shining Time episodes where they had two Thomas stories, but I don't think I would want them to have two in this episode because there's just so much happening in the station that I can't imagine cutting any of those bits out to make room for another Thomas story. Uh, So I think this is an instant where it's definitely one of the episodes where having only one Thomas story was not 
any sort of a hindrance. Uh, it, it carried itself well outside of that, for sure. And one of the things that strikes me, not just about this episode, but about season two as a whole, is the change they made to uh, Mayor Flopdinger's character. Because in season one, we see him in one episode. He's very he's very gruff and he's very abrasive. Uh, and then, yeah, exactly. And then starting in, you know, Tis a Gift, and then obviously continuing into the next two seasons... Uh, they've made him a lot more of a humorous character, which I think was a wonderful change. Mm-hmm. Kind of goofy and absent-minded. Really yeah, yeah, and I mean, credit to Jerome Dempsey, because he, he does a wonderful job playing the part, but I love when he comes in and the kids are like, oh, hi, Mayor Flopdinger, and he goes, oh, well, that's easy for you to say. I have to judge a pie-eating contest. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. Yeah, I love, yeah, I, yeah. I love, too, when he tries Schemer's Pie, like with the whipped cream and his fancy little spoon and then spits it out into the pie. Yeah. <laughs> it's so like, he's just like, <laughs> it's so over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Great use of the secondary characters in this, in this episode, them coming out and then the whole thing with Ginny and Midge. And um, I mean, I will say that Midge is a little sassy with the kids, you know, especially when she's like, well, you better get your ducks in a row. And then, then they start, it's not yeah. Billy's fault. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And, and, um, but, you know, she was going to the fair with her gherkins, and I guess it just it cramped her style. <laughs> so she was like, screw this train station. I, I I'm really taking love the that bit, too, where she, she comes in and she offers Billy a pickle, and he goes, do you uh, do you always travel with pickles, Midge? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And then she talks about using only one banana or something, and I always thought she was talking about the gherkins. But she's not. She's talking yeah, about something. Yeah. She's talking about her hat, I think, um, or something no, else. She's talking about food that she travels with. That's it. Thank you. Yes, but I always yeah, was like, as yeah. a kid, I was like, <laughs> people put bananas in gherkins. Maybe that's why I don't like them because I never liked how they were sweet. I was always a dill pickle tangy guy myself. Yeah. So, but the other day I noticed I was like, oh, that's not what that means. <laughs> so anyway the little charming kids you know misunderstandings um anyway to move any other thoughts before we move on to ratings uh i don't think i have any other thoughts other than it's just it's such a beautiful episode to me there's so many good things about this and i I will say in, in sort of a half trivia uh half final thoughts moment here if anyone watched this episode on something other than pbs for example if you watched it on the fox family channel or nick jr or something i really recommend watching the full episode online because they cut so many things out of those different airings oh awful and it baffles me because i mean we think about i saw that on the nick jr airing they cut out everything with jb king and i can't picture this episode without home or without that scene where he's talking about when he met Mr. Conductor as a kid, it just removes so much substance from it. Oh, I agree. Yeah, it that really dismayed me. I was like, cutting home? I was like, that's the heart of the episode. How dare you? Um, exactly. Yeah, so <laughs> go go to Joseph's channel, Naughty and, or Johnson and Naughty, and watch his version yes. of All's Fair. It's full. It's the best quality you'll ever see it in for now. Um, and probably, well, likely for a long time, but I'd like to think that this, rein- this, you know, <laughs> reinvigorated interest in Shining Time will spread worldwide. Um, yes. In terms of uh, ratings, I would have to give this a nine and a half. 
out of 10. Uh, it's a very high rating. I was giving mm-hmm. it a nine before, and then I kept waffling between like nine and a half and nine, especially because of the Thomas story. But I really wanted to think like, did that Thomas story bother me as a kid? No, I liked it. It fit in. It was, it was a, like you said, slice of life, gentle lolling. I think it was a good follow up to uh, the Robert Cars Are Coming song. Um, I feel like the show really hit its, it was, it had hit its stride at this point. It was a well-oiled machine and not just a machine. It had a lot of heart. And I feel like if, to be honest, if there was like, if somebody asked me to send them one episode that really sums up at the heart of the show, it would be this one for me. Um, I am that much mm-hmm. of a fan. Uh, so much so that, yeah, this is, this is really, really top tier for me. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think I would, I would give this one a nine as well. It, again, it, similar reasons. I mean, it's not the strongest Thomas story. Yeah. Um, that certainly, you know, could have been a, a little bit better, but um, all the same, not unpleasant by any means. And again, it's one of those episodes where you don't really need the Thomas episode included. There's the story of what's happening in the station itself and all the extra inclusions of the jukebox song and the picture machine song it really carries itself. There's no need for, you know, I mean, as much as we all want to see Thomas in this show and we want Mr. Conductor to come in and tell us a story. Mm-hmm. It's one of the instances where I, I could watch a cut of this where the Thomas story isn't included and I would feel satisfied because it's just such a, such a nice wrap up episode. It's, it's very true. I think I would still, I would still miss Thomas a bit, but you're right. It could hold its own easily. Um, and uh, now <laughs> we're, we've come to the part of the show where I'm going to I'm going to ask uh, Mike to say Edward Trevor and the really useful party five times as fast as he can. Oh, Lord, I didn't know this was coming. Oh, no. OK, here we go. I'm going to mentally prepare. OK, deep breath. Here we go. Ever Trevor and the Really Useful Party. Ever Trevor and the Really Useful Party. Ever. Uh, oh, oh no, no, I can't do it. You did it really well. That was an impressive two tries. I got, I got two. I got two out of five. That's not bad. You did really well. Oh my god. <laughs> Round of applause. Thank you. Oh, Mike, just nailed oh, it again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, one of one of my many talents. Thank you so much. Uh, yes. Yes. Hi, I'm Ken Bianco Jr. from Train World where we have the greatest selection of model trains and train sets. We also are proud to carry Bachman's full line of Thomas and Friends products. With a large variety of different brands and scales, we have the best items for your model train collection. You can find Train World on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can see our latest products and even be invited to all our events like Thomas Tuesdays. Visit trainworld.com today to find your next addition to your model railroad journey. Honestly, it is so fun doing this with you, Mike. And I, I also want to let, like, just really thank our listeners for joining us along this sort of um, grand review of the whole series before we dive into kind of the nitty gritty of each season. And I also wanted to say that, um, you know, we're doing our favorites right now. So we have a lot of positive things to say about these episodes. You know, we're not afraid to discuss criticism of you as you've seen, but we'll probably be doing more of that as we go into the episode. Some that we maybe don't like or don't land with us as much. So I just wanted to bring that in uh, to balance that out. Yes, absolutely. So final thoughts, Mike? Well, once again, thank you to everyone for tuning in here. It's been a blast. It's it's so fun to do these, uh, as we're calling them, sort of taster episodes to go through each series of Shining Time and, and give you a, a bit of a taste of what we'd be talking about here. 
we've got a lot more to look forward to for sure. We absolutely do. Um, we have season three in our next episode, so stay tuned for that. Um, and uh, I always just have so much fun with you, Mike. So uh, thanks again and looking forward to our next uh, our next episode. Thank you, my friend. I can't wait. We're moving on to the big season three. Even more <laughs> insanity and more heart. Don't worry. Yes, plenty of heart. Until next time, I've been Adrian. And I have been Mike. And we'll see you next time on Time to Shine. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.